Grace and mercy to you in the name of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let us pray. Our prayer then for the invocation then is, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of rest and celebration with which you have blessed us, that we may rest in Christ, knowing that he has truly secured our salvation and is our good shepherd. He claims us as his own. He cares for us, protects us, and continually intercedes for us. We gather this day with all your people to celebrate this rest that you have given us and is marked by his victorious resurrection over death and evil and has been realized in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. By your grace, we have been redeemed and we are grateful. May, your worship this, may our worship this day be pleasing to you, Father. Through your Son, forgive our sin and weakness, for you are truly holy and we fall far short. Through your Spirit, center our thoughts and hearts on your worship and praise for which you alone are worthy. Bless and lift our fellowship here this morning to join the host of heaven in praise of your glorious holy name. Reassure us in your steadfast love and help us to grow in faith and in our thoughts and lives. Transform, refresh, renew, and sanctify us this day as we long for the day when we shall put off corruption and the cares of this world and shall see your glories face to face. Help us serve you this day and every day without distraction as our joyful duty and with grateful hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our first hymn is hymn number 125, Let All Things Now Living. Thank you. 
be seated. Let's pray together the prayer of confession that is printed in the bulletin as we uh, approach a holy God. Let us pray together that prayer. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have left and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are. And direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Please stand for the assurance of pardon, which will come from 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, hear again the good news of the gospel, that Christ Jesus is the ground of our salvation. It is because of his completed work that we have forgiveness of sins, And it is his sure promise that we can know that we are truly forgiven of all our sin. And let us say together, praise Praise be to God. Our call to grateful obedience then comes from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. For this is God's will for you in Christ. And let us say together, Amen. Amen. Our next hymn is hymn number 306, Jesus, my great high priest.
Please be seated. And we will approach God's throne together uh, with our prayer of intercession. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning to worship you, uh, to learn about you, to praise you, um, and to fellowship with one another. We know that you are a God who hears and wants to hear from his people. And we come together now to uh, agree together and to raise up our prayers to you. We pray, Lord, for the whole of this earth and and mankind. We ask that you would continue to open your arms and that many would come to know you and to be saved. And that the voice of your church would ring out throughout the world. We pray for the civil rulers of this world. We pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for the members of the Supreme Court, for our various senators and representatives in Washington, and the governors of the various states, and with elections upcoming uh, for many of these offices, uh, we pray that you would provide us with people who do love you, people who would uh, govern us wisely We ask that you would give us honorable leaders uh, who would deal well with the people and with foreign countries. We ask that you would continue to improve this nation by refining it in your image, even if uh, using leaders who do not know or love you or even openly despise you. We pray that thy will would be done. We pray for your church around the world. Ask, uh, we ask that you would continue to be the shepherd of your sheep and protect us from all things that would uh, assault us. We uh, ask that you would uh, especially provide your protection for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in places where their faith is viciously persecuted, including places like China and Iran. Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Vietnam. We pray for your missionaries, those who are in the, uh, in the field spreading the gospel, uh, both in the United States and around the world. We pray that you would provide for them encouragement and uplift You would provide for them financially through us and through their other brothers and sisters. And we pray that you would continue to call people to that mission field and that all Christians would feel a burden and act upon it to participate in that great commission, either through being in the mission field themselves or through financial or emotional support of those who are. 
We pray that you would continue to uh, provide good uh, preaching and teaching in this congregation. We pray for uh, the other activities of this church, that you would continue to bond us together uh, socially and in uh, continued love and affection for one another. We pray for all the congregations in this area, for our neighbors uh, who are uh, also proclaiming your truth and your gospel, that you would continue to provide for them, and that we would be uh, friends and co-workers in the mission field. Um, We pray for the officers of this congregation, that you would uh, bless them with humility and energy and wisdom. And for all the members of this congregation, that you would continue to be their shepherd, uh, continue for each of our us and our households to provide the things that we need, um, give us the, the resources we need, and give us the energy to do your work. We pray that you would bring other brothers and sisters to uh, join us in worship and, and membership, um, that people of all generations would be uh, called here and that our family would continue to grow in numbers and in uh, love for one another. We pray for those who are ill, who are recovering from illness, who are grieving, uh, including Frida and Eduardo, for Jeff and Linda and Bob and Fawn, for Seth and Ronald and Becky and Bob, Judy, Tom, Phil, Angie, Karen, Mrs. Mesner, and we also pray for those um, with uh, whose uh, illnesses or uh, conditions are not yet known to them or who have not uh, openly shared those concerns. Lord, you know all of us. You know all of our concerns. You know the secret sorrows of our heart. You know our bodies better than we do, and we pray for your mercy upon everyone named, and everyone who needs you in these ways. We pray for the ministries of this congregation. We thank you for the apparent reopening of Oakland County Jail to uh, worship services, and thank you for the opportunity to lead there. We also raise up to you the uh, hoped-for ministry at Lawrence Tech and ask that you would continue to open doors Uh, for Pastor Jeff and others to meet with the students there, that your word may go forth in in uh, that part of this neighborhood. We ask you also to be with our friends and our relatives who do not know you. We pray that you would give us the opportunities and the boldness to continue to share the gospel with them and the energy to continue to pray for them. Lord, it is so hard to see people around us who we love so much, uh, but we know do not love you. And we beg that you would intervene in their lives um, to their eternal salvation, to your own great joy, and to the eternal glory of your kingdom. We pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, who during his earthly ministry taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If the ushers would come forward, we will collect our offering. Please be seated. And we now join in prayer for God's illumination as we enter his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great gift of your word, that we live in a day and an age and in a society when we can um, have your word direct from you. We can own it, we can read it, we can publicly proclaim it, um, and We just praise you for that uh, gift that you have given us. We know it is a gift that many of our brothers and sisters throughout the ages and even in the world today cannot enjoy. And we pray as we open your word today to uh, read it, that you would open our hearts and our ears and our minds, and that we would prove uh, soft and fertile soil for the seeds that you will plant within us. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 18 through 26. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? 
It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Our Psalter response today comes from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, where is their God? He does all that he pleases. The work of human hands. Eyes, but they do not see. Noses, but do not smell. Feet, but do not walk. Those who make them become like them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Uh, we are blessed this morning to have Pastor uh, Steve Gonzalez uh, preaching, and uh, those of you who have been blessed to sit under his uh, preaching before know he uh, prefers to read uh, the reading on which the sermon will be based uh, himself. So we will um, s- uh, skip over the epistle reading for now and enjoy that in a moment, and we will go straight to the gospel reading, which is from Matthew 19. And this is verses uh, 16 through 26. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Once again, it's my privilege and great delight to be able to first and foremost uh, worship the Lord together with you, um, to be able to see Christ and to uh, see his beauty and his glory in, in the splendor of his word and in the splendor of the faces of his people as well. So it is a, a great delight and great honor for me. Angie sends her greetings. Um, she continues to uh, struggle. We are grateful for your continued prayers uh, for her health. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for keeping her in prayer. Let me invite you in this time to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 1 to 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. Winston Churchill once said, Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, echoes of this aphorism are found in the Apostle Paul's warning to the Corinthian Christians. What's the big deal to participate with our friends in these pagan rituals, they thought. I mean, we're strong in our faith, and besides, everyone knows these gods are not real. But they were not realizing that they were playing with fire. They were not learning from history. Paul's warning for them is not far for us as well. We may not burn incense to statues, but we have our own set of idols, uh, our own um, priesthoods, our own totems, our own rituals, all of which threaten our fellowship with Christ and our fellowship with each other here in this room. The Apostle Paul explains, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, 
Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way out, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's pray. Our gracious and merciful God, all of us come this morning with heavy burdens that we carry some of which include financial burdens, some of which include health-related issues. Some of those burdens relate to relationships that we have. And some of those situations are without, are outside of our control, but some of the heavy burdens that we might be carrying even yet this morning come from choices that we have made sins that we have committed, spiritual burdens that weigh heavy upon us. And so we pray that your word would speak to us this morning, that you would provide conviction to those who are living lackadaisical lives, not cautious and careful, that you would convict them. And those who are struggling and looking for hope and encouragement in Christ, that you would show them Christ through your word this morning and hope that he alone provides and rescue from the bondage that we have placed ourselves in. Lord, may your word speak to all of us, no matter what our circumstance this morning. And may we rise from this place to give you all the praise and all the glory in whose name we pray. Amen. Fellowship. It's more than just two fellas in a ship. (laughs) It's more than just Christians gathering together to eat and to play euchre with each other. You know that fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which refers to participation. It's how our English Standard Version, our ESV, translates the use of the word in our passage this morning. It also conveys with it a sense of sharing, sense of uh, self-sacrifice. In many occasions, it 
has financial overtones to it, a, a sacrifice financially. Our English simply doesn't do uh, justice, nor does it capture all the nuances of the word koinonia. But if you want a perfect example of what koinonia looks like, you have no further than to look in the Holy Trinity. There you'll find a perfect example of koinonia. The Apostle Paul uses koinonia several times in our passage, especially in verse 16 of our text this morning. As you know, our fellowship with Christ begins when the Spirit of God unites us to Christ by faith in Him. This experience of this fellowship strengthens and only deepens as we mature in Christ. But it is heightened or it is intensified, if you will, when we participate in the Lord's Supper. For in the Lord's Supper, we participate in his sufferings as well as in his glory. But fellowship is, it's never simply vertical. Just me and Jesus. You know, some people think that and they live by that. But Christianity never exists in a cultural vacuum. It must be expressed in languages. We express it in customs and traditions and art and in social relationships with each other. That's why the Apostle Paul emphasizes both fellowship with Christ and fellowship with each other as members of the body of Christ. You can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. We need, a, we need petroleum to power a car, at least nowadays you do, right? Maybe in the future that might change, who knows? But you can have oil but no gasoline and the car won't run. You can have gasoline and no oil and the car won't run. We need both. We need a vertical fellowship with Christ and we also need a horizontal fellowship with one another. They go hand in hand. Many people associate fellowship with simply uh, having social gatherings or spiritual gatherings. But fellowship is far more than just kumbaya. Our greatest experience of fellowship, call it, well, let's call it the epitome of fellowship. The epitome of fellowship occurs when we gather for worship on the Lord's Day. That is the heightened experience of fellowship with Christ as well as with each other. Think about it. We attend to his word together. We eat together at his table, which we're going to do this morning. We rejoice together when we participate in covenant baptism of our covenant children. We make vows to each other. We sing songs to him and about him, all within earshot of one another. We confess together our sins against him and against each other. We together hear his pardoning grace. We share in our mutual woes when we sing songs of lament. And we weep together when one of us dies. Friends, there is nothing else on earth or any other occasion that can bring the sweetest pleasures and delights comforts and encouragement in our tears than when we gather together every Lord's Day in worship. I wonder, 
Is that your experience here at Providence Church? This is the epitome of fellowship. (laughs) It's far more than what we experience in simply getting together with each other. That's why we in our Reformed tradition have placed such a strong emphasis on the public worship of God. If you don't desire to be in worship regularly, every Lord's Day, then you are either not a Christian or you are living in the grip of idolatry that is sucking out all the nutrients that's feeding your spiritual desires. And that's the real danger that threatens our fellowship. That's the real danger that Paul is addressing in our text this morning. It's serious. There's a weightiness to it if you follow along carefully in the reading of God's word. There's a, there's a heaviness there. There's a weightiness. That's the real danger. You know it and I know it. The phrase from the War of 1812 rings true today. We have met the enemy, and the enemy is us, right? Idolatry, as Paul calls it. No one is exempt. No one can claim spiritual superiority according to verse 12. Like Achan, we have taken the plunder of this world and hidden them in our hearts. It's the greatest threat to true authentic fellowship with Christ and with each other here in the body of Christ. Alexis de Tocqueville is well known for his observations on America when visiting in the early 1800s. He writes these words upon his observation of Americans. Quote, There is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. And the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the heart. Close quote. They, no, we, you and me, we take the temporary things of this world, the incomplete joys, many of which are good things in life, but we make them ultimate things in life. And therein lies our problem. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, writes, We think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. (laughs) Anything can become an idol, especially the very best things in life. Here's what Paul is getting at in our passage. If you were to kind of shake it up and boil it down, this is what Paul is getting at. Fellowship with Christ and each other requires that we flee from idolatry. That's the point. Flee from idolatry. It's, it appears all over the text. It's strong. Flee idolatry. The verb that Paul chooses to use here indicates something that is ongoing, something that is continual. We are to be continually fleeing idolatry. Why? Because it leads to death. Secondly, it confuses our gospel message. And three, it provokes the Lord's jealousy. Those three things we see in our text this morning. In verses 1 to 11 of our passage, Paul 
shows us how idolatry leads to death. And he does so by giving us four examples of history to remind the Corinthians not to repeat the sins of the past. These things took place or happened to them as an example for us, Paul writes on a couple occasions, sort of a reoccurring theme. Their rejection of God, that is, when Israel rejected uh, God, it led them to complain about the manna. They were complainers. Manna again? Reminds me of a song that Keith Green sang years ago um, about that very issue of complaining. Uh, They complained about the manna. Uh, Idolatry and rejection of God also led them to worshiping a golden calf, and they didn't think anything of it. It led them to indulge in sexual immorality at the behest of Balaam. It led them to denounce God's appointed leader, Moses. He's taking too long. Where is he? Let's just do our own thing. (laughs) Their rejection of God and idolatrous actions eventually, which is what Paul is showing us in our text, led to their death. Their hearts long for something other than God. They were digging holes for their own graves and they didn't even realize what they were doing. In The Wounded Healer, Henry Nouwen retells a tale from ancient India. Four royal brothers decided each to master a special ability. Time went by and the brothers met to reveal what they had learned. The first brother said, I have mastered a science. I can take a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. The second brother said, I can grow the creature's skin and hair if there's flesh on its bones. The third brother comes along and said, I can create its limbs if I have flesh, skin, and hair. And then the fourth brother comes and says, I can give life to that creature if its form is complete. Well, so the brothers went off into the jungle, and lo and behold, they found the bone of a lion. Each contributed his specialty, and eventually the lion was brought to life. The lion stood, shook its mane, jumped on its creators, and killed them all. But idolatry is no laughing matter. Idolatry becomes a trap that eventually brings death. Paul wanted the Corinthians to see their own reflection in the mirror of these historical events. They were, that is the Corinthians, were participating in pagan festivals. They were doing the very same things that Israel did at the foot of Mount Sinai. And what's interesting is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, some of them actually died because they did not rightly discern the body of the Lord in the supper. And so Paul pleads with them to remember their past and to change their conduct. Strong words that Paul is saying. Flee idolatry. We're no different than they were. We may find ourselves crying out like the elders of Israel did, idols. 
What idols? I don't see any idols. And yet our greatest danger is not from the idols on the shelf, but the idols of self. That's our greatest danger. John Calvin, the great Protestant reformer, said that our heart is the chief idol-making factory. We're good at making idols in our hearts. If you don't think you are doing that, you're deceiving yourself. We are great idol-makers in our hearts. Idolatry, boil it down, is simply rejection of God, the living and true God. It's rejecting his guidance, his provisions, his authority, and his kindness. We forget that sometimes. We think that idolatry is rejecting his authority, and that's true. But idolatry also is anything that denies his kindness to us. We may not have a statue of Aphrodite, who is the goddess of beauty, but why is it that so many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over their body image? You and I may not burn incense to Artemis, the goddess of fertility and wealth. But when we make careers and money ultimate things in life, we find ourselves performing a a type of child sacrifice, neglecting our family, community, neglecting our church body to achieve higher places in business and secure a, a, a huge nest egg for us. If we're not guarding our hearts, then we can actually take the good things in life, the very good things that we all agree are good things, like successful careers, love, sex, material possessions, even family and personal rights under our Constitution, for example, and make them ultimate things. You know what our hearts do? With these things, they deify them as the center of our lives. We think that they can give us significance and security. They can give us fulfillment and safety if we achieve them. But Paul's message to them, the Corinthians, and to us today is to flee idolatry. It is and will always be a dead end street. It is serious enough to take attention to it. And to think about it carefully. There's another reason. Paul doesn't stop there. There's another reason why we must flee idolatry. And that reason is that it confuses our gospel message. We see that in verses 20 and 21 of our text. If you drop your eyes down there and follow along. 20 and 21, the apostle Paul says, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You and I live in a time, not unlike the first century, when blending of beliefs and making no claims of absolute truth is considered a moral virtue. I mean, I know it's... We can get surprised at that, and then we're not surprised because we live in our society, and we know that that's the value of our society, that to resist absolute truth claims, that's a moral virtue. That's a good thing. 
We live in that world today, and we think that at times. It falls under the concept of tolerance. I'm sure you've heard that term before. Contemporary voices say that when you have distinctions in religion, absolute truth claims, that is, tyranny results. When society is flexible, when, when a given society is non-dogmatic, accepting all beliefs, society will flourish. But is that true? Christian theologian and philosopher Phil Miles, in his 2001 essay called Of Truth, Tolerance, and Tyranny, argues really quite persuasively that, quote, tyranny is not the inevitable outcome of an absolutist view of truth, but is, rather, the direct product of relativism. Likewise, tolerance arises not from relativism, but from the very thing which our society anathematizes, the belief and absolutes, close quote. It's a very interesting article. You can actually read it online of uh, Phil Miles of Truth, Tolerance, and Tyranny. It's a thought-provoking article. The pursuit of tolerance as something ultimate is idolatrous. Tolerance says, there's no problem with drinking the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Go ahead. Feast with the pagans. No foul. No harm. But Paul's message to the Corinthians and us is that the worship of Christ is incompatible with the worship of demons or with the idols of self. More specifically, Christianity and other religions are mutually exclusive. There is no and there will never be any common ground shared by Islam, Buddhism, or Halloween or any of the selfisms. Paul's message is clear. Not only must we be fleeing idolatry, but even from participating in anything contrary to the gospel. You probably know that the Corinthians prided themselves in their wisdom, in their academies, in their institutions. And so what does Paul do in our text? He appeals to their knowledge. He appears to their so-called wisdom. Paul appeals to them as, what does he call them? Sensible people. He says, you're sensible. I know that. You've got the reputation of that. Judge for yourselves. In other words, what Paul is telling the Corinthians, I think he's also telling us as well. Think about it. Consider the ramifications of syncretism. That is the joining and blending of beliefs into one belief system. Not only does it not work, but it confuses our gospel message. You can't love God and money at one and the same time. You can't eat at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. The gospel demands that we choose. The gospel demands that we choose in our conversations with our friends or co-workers at the water fountain. We choose, choose ye this day whom you will serve. The gospel requires that we choose. When we feed at tables of our idols, we confuse the gospel message for all to see. Our neighbors, uh, our family members, people in the church here, our own children and our own grandchildren. 
And when Christians see this happening in other Christians' lives, there's a distance that begins to develop. There's an uncomfortableness that develops there because they're, they're, they're worshiping idols. They may not say that. They may not think they are, but they are embracing things other than God as their absolute so- source of joy and purpose and meaning in life. You feel it. It's just awkward. The gospel demands that we draw lines and make no apologies. We're either eating at the table of Christ or at the table of self. And so, brothers and sisters in the Lord, you and I, we must, we must turn back. We must turn back to the living and true God. We must do this every single day to return to the Lord. We must do so consciously, intentionally, and with great humility and brokenness in our own hearts. We must do this. And so Paul ends this section rather starkly. Just a very short statement that he makes. We must flee idolatry. Why? Because it provokes the Lord to jealousy. We see that in verse 22. Very short verse. Paul says, he asks the question, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And obviously the implication is when we When we eat at the table of demons, we are doing the very thing that we are aghast at. What? We're provoking the Lord to jealousy? Yes, that's happening. You don't want to provoke the Lord to jealousy. It never works out in your favor. (laughs) It's rather obvious that when we provoke the Lord to jealousy, when, when we say that we love him but commit spiritual adultery with other gods, his fellowship with us, is threatened. And it might be, for example, why you might feel distant in recent days from God. You see, God's jealousy is unlike ours. His jealousy is a sinless, righteous sentiment that protects his holiness and also protects you as his people. He is jealous for you. Israel's history makes it clear that when the Lord is provoked to jealousy... His wrath is poured out. When you think about it, he has done so much for them, Israel, the Corinthians, and you and me. He has done so much for us. We owe him faithful obedience, exclusive devotion to him, forsaking all things that seek to replace him. And we should always have at the forefront of our memory, we should always be thinking about this and meditating upon it each and every day, We need to remember that God punished his son on the cross for our idolatry. Why why would we want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Why add lemon juice to our sweet fellowship that we have with Christ? Idolatry always takes us down a road and will always leave us saying, this was a mistake. The Corinthian Christians may have participated in these pagan feasts because, well, they enjoyed a good meal, just wanted some good food. Um, They might have been ignorant of the implications. Or they may have concluded that since these Greek gods, everyone knows they're not real, that it was showing spiritual maturity on their part. They would say, I can handle it. We can handle it. And things come across us in our experiences in life. We're quick to say, 
We can handle it. I can handle it. It doesn't bother me when it should. Or they might have been simply just, I don't know, too lax, thoughtless. They just went with the flow. They were more interested in being people pleasers and going along with the crowd and what they did. It doesn't really matter what our disposition is when we dabble with idolatry. The only rational ground for why you and I choose to live or to dabble with idolatry is to provoke the Lord to jealousy. That's what Paul says in our passage. We must be honest with ourselves and we can't go finding fig leaves to hide behind. The concern of idolatry should be in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. It should come to our minds before and even during our participation in the Lord's Supper. That's why we fence the table of the Lord. We cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of the counterfeit gods that we have imagined and have created. That's why we need to return to the Lord every day. Repent every day of the idolatry that's in our hearts. Paul's warning is very stern. It's it's uncompromising, it's unyielding. But he reminds us that we serve a God who is faithful and will not let us be tempted beyond our ability, and he will always provide a way of escape that we may be able to endure the temptation of idolatry. That's the grace of God that you and I need. That's the grace that we have in the gospel of Christ. That's the motivation that we must have in order to flee idolatry. God's grace must be in the forefront. We must remember that the pleasure of the sowing will always be eclipsed by the pain of the harvest. And that's Paul's message to the Corinthians. It's Paul's message to us as well. There is so much at stake with our daily choices that we make in life and the fellowship that you and I seek to have vertically with Christ as well as with each other here in the body of Christ, especially if our name is Christian. Alexander the Great was known for his military prowess and great courage. One day, Alexander held court in Babylon And sitting on his throne, he pronounced sentences for the crimes charged to his soldiers. Each soldier, in turn, would have his crimes read before Alexander. And it was said that no one could deliver them from Alexander's often very severe judgments. One day, there was a young Macedonian soldier, 17, 18 years old, perhaps, who was brought before the great king. Alexander asked, what is his crime? He was caught fleeing in the face of the enemy. Alexander's features hardened, for cowardice was one thing that he could not tolerate. But as he looked on this young soldier, Alexander's countenance softened, and the crowd breathed a sigh of relief. Perhaps this young lad had won the king's heart. Smiling, Alexander turned to the boy and asked, Son, what is your name? The boy said softly, 
Alexander. The smile left the king's face, and his countenance once again hardened, and he said, What is your name? Alexander, sir! And with that, the king exploded out of his chair, grabbed the soldier by the tunic, stared him in the face, and he said to him, Soldier, change your conduct or change your name. What is your name? Christian, my Lord and my God, Dare you take upon yourself that sacred name while eating at the table of demons? Christian, flee idolatry or change your name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we are in desperate need of your mercy and your forgiveness. As we look in the face of truth, your truth, but also as we look in the face of your kindness to us and your mercy, forgive us. Give us what we need that we might be regularly and continually fleeing idolatry, that we might serve the living and true God who has been good and kind to us. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together as we recite in unison the great confession of our faith, the Nicene Creed, many of whom who not only drafted this creed, but also recited it in the early church life. Had to make a choice between life and death in many occasions. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. This confession served as a common confession upon those who believed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let us then join together with Christians in the past as well as Christians today and the hope of Christians even yet tomorrow. Let us confess Christians, what do we believe here at Providence Church? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us remain standing and turn in our hymnals to hymn number 427. Amidst us, our beloved stands. Hymn number 427. Participating uh, together in the Lord's Supper should be our greatest experience of fellowship. should be that way. Fellowship with Christ and with each other. That's the intent of the Lord's Supper spread before you here this morning. We experience His spiritual presence as if He were physically sitting down with us at this table. It's not my table as a minister 
It's not the elders' table. It is the table of the Lord, and He is the unseen host. But Christ is presently is present with us spiritually. The Apostle Paul says that the bread that we break is participation in the body of Christ. And the cup of blessing that we bless is participation in the blood of Christ. And so the bread and the wine here before us represent, they are symbolic of Christ's human nature. They symbolically represent his body and his blood. Paul requires that we rightly discern the body of the Lord in order to partake of the Lord's Supper. That is to say that we are to think about this bread and we're to think about this cup differently than just simply bread and fruit of the vine as we participate. We don't just see bread and wine here or that somehow this bread and this wine turn into the physical body and blood of our Savior. Christ is not omnipresent in his human nature. He can't be here at this table and in heaven at the same time in his physical nature. And so to discern rightly his body means that we look at his redemption that is set forth in this table. We have the redemption and the work of Christ before us in our minds as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper. His Holy Spirit then works in our hearts works in our minds and our thoughts, and reassures us of the benefits that are ours because we belong to Christ. Those spiritual benefits, those are the things that should fill your thoughts and your mind as you partake of the Lord's Supper. If you belong to Christ through faith in Him alone, have been baptized, and are in good standing at Providence Church, this church, or any other gospel preaching church, then come and be nourished in your faith by partaking of the Lord's Supper. You're welcome to participate in the Supper. If you're not a member of a local church, if you've not been baptized, then you'll have no benefits at this table. You've not a faith that needs to be nourished or strengthened. You've not made your good confession in the presence of elders who have been given the keys of the kingdom. In fact, you can expect judgment as Paul warns very clearly. Judgment from God because God would see you participating in something that is not true of you. It would be hypocritical. Paul warns anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. If you are a member here, Providence Church, but living in unconfessed sin, then feasting at the table of idols in your life, do not participate until you have dismantled your golden calves through repentance and returned to the living and true God. As covenant children, as there may be some covenant children here today, if you're longing to participate because of the meaning of the Lord's Supper, not because everyone else is doing it and you feel left out, but because you understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, if that is percolating in your thoughts, if you're thinking about that, whether it's here or at home, then God is doing a work in your heart. Pay attention to that, kids. Go tell your mom and dad what God, what you think God is doing in your heart and that you want to take the Lord's Supper. And together, they will bring you to the elders and you can make your profession of faith. 
And at that point, you can become a communicant member and enjoy all the benefits of membership as well as the membership privileges of partaking in the Lord's Supper. But you must do that. It's not an option for you kids. You must eventually do it to repent from your sins and turn to the Lord and trust in Him. And so let us prepare for this intimate fellowship that we have with Christ and with each other as the epitome of fellowship that God's provided for us as we anticipate the soon coming marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we are grateful and thankful that you have given to us this table. We would ask, O Lord, that you would take these elements, the bread and the fruit from the vine, and that you would set them apart for their spiritually intended use. That you would strengthen us in our faith, remind us of all the benefits that we have by belonging to Christ. Forgiveness of sins, life eternal, fellowship with the Spirit of God. No condemnation. Guidance and wisdom as we struggle to walk through this world. The burdens and, and, um, and struggles that we bear in our life. That we have one whose yoke is easy and burden is light to carry them for us. And so Lord, come and nourish us and strengthen us. Help us to remove all distractions from our thinking as we partake of the Lord's Supper, may we dwell on you and think of your goodness and grace and mercy to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good and a joyful thing. All glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forevermore. And together we say, Amen. Let us turn to hymn number 168 and use the words of this hymn to prepare for taking of the Lord's Supper.
carefully the words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, our Savior took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. Jesus as we conclude our service by singing hymn number 571. 571. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stop. 
danger and strength to strength the foes. Love, stand up for Jesus, stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, He dare not trust your Now look up and receive God's blessing upon your life, the benediction of his blessing. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Go in peace. few announcements. Um, first off, just in terms of weekly studies, the Thursday study will be this Thursday here at the church, continuing the uh, study on reading the Bible uh, with a view to the whole. Uh, so we'd encourage you to attend that. And then also, as I was reading through the Life Together this morning, uh, it occurred to me that we uh, continually ask for food for the deacon's pantry so that we can distribute it to uh, churches that have pantries. Uh, We don't have a pantry here, but we help stock those that do. Uh, And I was thinking about with the inflation where it is and so forth, I know that families would be struggling. So uh, please uh, consider maybe maybe a little bit more active uh, donations into the deacon's pantry so that we can help stock that. Winter is coming, and, and so we know that that's a hard time as well. Um, in terms of teaching, a couple of announcements. Um, Steve uh, Gonzalez, by the way, it's always a blessing when he comes in. If I meant to start with that, it's always such a blessing when Steve comes to uh, share uh, the, uh, um, his teaching and preaching. Very much appreciate that. But this morning, also, uh, his 
uh, wife's uh, congregation, uh, which uh, is a uni- uh, University Reformed Church in Lansing, uh, has a conference coming up in December that looks very um, looks very uh, very good. It, it's D. A. Carson. For those of you who know the name, he's a very well known uh, theologian. Is preaching or te- not preaching? Uh, teaching a, this conference on Jesus, the climax of the Old Testament, in terms of how all of the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ. And some of the topics are things like how Jesus. Jesus in the tabernacle, uh, Jesus is the promised great one, Jesus the priest, and so forth. Uh, there's a number of really good uh, topics that are going to be discussed. Um, it's very reasonably priced, $15 per person or $25 per couple. Um, so uh, I'm going. we only have the one copy, so I'm going to make copies as soon as we break here, put, put them on the table. And so if you're interested, uh, please take one. Um, also on the book table, we have a ha- <clears throat> excuse me a handful of copies of the book Gentle and Lowly. We had mentioned last week that we were going to be starting that uh, in the um, uh, in the new year as our CE uh, topic. We're going to be going through that. So there are th- about three copies left. People as soon as I was walking in, people were grabbing them out of my hand. So I, you know, it just goes to show you how. Uh, how uh, good this book is, um, but there's a little catch. There's just just one little catch. Uh, is well, actually, one at, one que- one request and one catch. The request is that you know if you can maybe donate the price of the book, uh, just drop a check in or something along those lines. Book is around eleven dollars, uh, and uh, but that's optional. If you can't afford it, that's fine. Just take one, um, and then also. Uh, if you take the book, you got to be here for CE. That's the catch. So you don't just get to take the book and go home and read it, be blessed by it, and then that's it. We don't see you on at Adult CE. You take it, you got to be here. It's just a rule. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind. Um, and with that, I don't have anything else. I'm kind of looking around at Linda. Yeah, it, it really is a, a very, very, um, just a really a blessing to read. I, I read through that and found it very um, pastoral in terms of its, uh, of its teaching. So. Okay, we have a presentation. What's that? Mrs. Wilson and the Klauses. We have a presentation. You do? We have a surprise. You do? We do? Well, we're waiting. So that the folks can hear. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, in this moment, we have a little surprise here for the congregation. Um, it is such a blessing 
to spend time with these kids. Um, <laughs> I was going to try to be funny. Instead, I'm going a different direction. No, Jack, you don't get to leave. Nope, 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 nope. All four of you have to come up this way. I'm not up here by myself. No way. No way, no way, Jose. Okay, so this summer, basically what we do in class is we do an abbreviated of whatever you all are getting in, in your adult class. And there were a couple Sundays. Uh, one of them uh, actually was, uh, we don't just go to church, we are the church. We don't just go to church, we are the church. And um, so we had a lot of opportunity to talk about what that meant, and the kids decided that they would color these and send them to the various folks at church that were having uh, situations where they, where they needed prayer and where they needed encouragement. So uh, that was one thing that we did. We have this book. Anybody got any ideas who might have uh, contributed this book to the Sunday school class? This is a Mrs. Roberts. This is a Mrs. Roberts. Look here. Hello, Kitty. But this is our prayer book. And when we meet, which we have been consistent about our meeting, we do the acts approach. We do adoration, confession, thankfulness, and supplication. And um, the adoration part is kind of interesting. And what do you always say, Joel? What do you always say when we say, what do, you, what do you appreciate about God? What do you always say? That's right. He says, God's powerful. And I go, that's right. That's a very important thing to remember. He is powerful. And, and things like he's a forgiver, and he provides, and he knows everything. And then we get to the part of confession, and then uh, that gets interesting, too. Um, sometimes we confess that we don't pay attention in church, or that we fall asleep, or... Um, Maybe we get frustrated with our brothers and sisters, but we go through the confession part, and then we do the thankfulness part, and I have to say, something that consistently came up in the thankfulness part, normal things, funny things, um, interesting things. I One Sunday was great because it was about when you had gone on your trip and we were thankful for trains and all kinds of ice cream, and none of this is a chocolate and vanilla crowd. Uh-uh. They're the lemon... They are the lavender crowd. Uh, they had some really highfalutin flavors that they liked. But consistently they said they were thankful for this church. And I thought, this is a kid saying we're thankful for this church. It came through so many times as I was re- reading through this. They're thankful for our church. And so we were um, talking about the next, one of the next lessons we were talking about was how do you serve the church? Well, there's obvious ways that adults serve the church, but we got suggestions on how they could serve the church, and things were like holding doors for people, greeting, taking trash out, you know, things like that. But one of the things that they came up with was praying for the people in the church. And, you know, again, I was looking through the prayers that these these children have, and I just, they know you. They know you. They... They were, we, we prayed for the Hannums in May because they were grieving. I don't tell them or suggest what we pray for. They give those to me. And um, I write them down. And they were praying for the Hannums. And they were praying for Mr. Kelly, brother. And then they were praying for Mr. Kelly in his grief. And then they were praying for Mrs. Kelly when she wasn't feeling good. One day they asked, we prayed for Mrs. Reinert. And I said, why? And they said, because we want to pray for Mrs. Reiner. And I go, okay, we can do that. Doesn't have to have a reason to pray for Mrs. Reiner. They pray for the Guzmans. 
when Mrs. Guzman had her injury. And it was just astounding to me that we would... We, so we were talking about how do you serve. We said pray. And I said, how is it that you, you all know these things? And it's obvious there's some intentional parenting going on, but there's also some listening going on in church. But one of the things they said they'd used, not currently but in the past, was what we worked on for the last six months. Six months. Do you want to unveil what we worked on for the last six months? It's a prayer jar, and it has every single person that worships in our church, family, friends, members. They're all in those jars, all the people that we have attending and worshiping with us. And they said that they had this kind of jar at home where they would pull a stick out and it would have something on it. Their thing was to have a prayer request on it. But as we discussed it, we thought it would be cool to have each of the members and family and friends that come to our church be prayed for. And we had a, we had a couple here, uh, John and Cindy Taylor, years ago, they would go through the directory, and every day they would pray for a single, you know, each of the families. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this would give everybody the ability to do that with a reminder. And the thing is, is we talked about all the steps, and we prayed about all the steps. And that was what was really amazing, because the first step was, what are we going to put those, what are we going to use for sticks? And the next thing you know, Natalie's like, I think we have a box of them in the other room. And, and, and Joel or Ben are like, oh, we have colored ones in here. And the next thing you know, we had 1,600 sticks, and we needed 1,600 sticks. Because when you put 30 times 30 plus all the extra people you want to pray about, it comes to quite a few. So we grabbed those sticks, and then we started talking about, well, what are we going to put the sticks in? And I said, well, you guys, you know people with babies. Go find baby jars. Oh, yeah, we'll talk to mom about that. And I thought, okay, well, let's see what we can find out about baby jars. Well, people are not doing baby jars so much anymore. People are just feeding their kids what they want, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? Well, we could use jelly jars. We could use olive jars. We, bought, we all agreed that that was kind of ugly, okay? So what happens? I'm on Facebook Marketplace one Saturday, and I look, and here is a woman that has those wee yogurt jars. It's a... It's a uh, designer yogurt as far as I can tell but they come in these glass jars and and I'm looking at that jar and I'm thinking "Ooh, I think that might work and then the next thing I do I look at where this woman is located and she is right around the corner from Barbara Hannum and I text Barbara Hannum and I say is there any chance you could pick up some jars for me and she's like absolutely what are they for and I said sorry can't tell you <laughs> sorry can't tell you it's a surprise so she picked up those jars and I got to show the kids the first thing Natalie did is she held that up and she goes Look at the shape of the jar. It is so pretty. It's a pretty jar. And I said, yeah, because you know what? The Lord is good about those kinds of things. It's a pretty jar. And I said, you know what else happened with this jar? I said, this jar was right around the corner from Barbara Hannum. And she was able to get them right then and there for 25 cents each. And we were all like, yay! And I said, you know what else was fun about that jar? I got to tell that woman why we were using those jars. I said it was an opportunity to witness to witness to Jesus Christ, to someone we don't even know. And she was like, well, if you ever need any jars, let me know. We eat four of these a day. I'm like, whoa. So anyway, we got our jars, and then we had to, you know, we, we went through different things trying to figure out how to decorate, how to, this. well, we decided the pipe cleaners were a good idea because that would stay on there. 
but we didn't have enough pipe cleaners. So here's where Mrs. Caesar and, and, and Mrs. Roberts come into this picture because they provided the good-looking pipe cleaners. And you know what else? They wanted to know, well, what are they for? And we said, sorry, can't tell you. It's a surprise. Can't tell you. But they were part of it. They got to be part of it. And then Natalie, bless her heart, spent two Saturdays writing prayer without ceasing on those jars. And I thought, if Natalie can take two Saturdays to do all that decorative work to write prayer without ceasing, Mrs. Wilson can take 12 hours to wrap all those stupid popsicle sticks. (laughs) And I did. 12 hours it took me to put all of those labels on there because, now here we go again, I'm seeing a patient in Warren and I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to put the names on those popsicle sticks? And I think, Caesars live in Warren. Caesars are like Mrs. Roberts. They save everything. And I called them and I said, do you have labels? And they said, oh, we have thousands of labels. I said, well, would you mind? And they said, sure, but what's it for? And I said, sorry, can't tell you. It's a surprise. And then I did get most of them wrapped, but there were 60. I just ran out of steam. And Mrs. Cowles did the last 60. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, because I'm out of steam. And there was a whole bunch of people involved with this prayer jar. So don't you take it for granted. Like, throw them in the trash and say, you know, I don't feel like praying for these people. So anyway, the beauty is it gives an opportunity to remember and know who it is that you worship with. And it just fits perfectly with this with this sermon today. And it also fits with that idol part because you know what? My idol was to have my extended family with my children growing up. That was my idol. And the interesting thing about a jealous God is that sometimes we don't have to flee. He's so jealous, he makes it happen. And so he said, you know what, Heidi Wilson, no to your extended family. And in my aging golden, I'm getting no to my children being near me too. And I'm like, Lord, what is the deal? And that's because he wants me to continue to give in other ways. And I feel like I relive. Old Emily back there is always saying, you know, if you really need a break from my kids, I'm like, no, I don't like kids, but I really like yours. And I sit there and I feel like I'm getting to relive all over again what I had with my own. And I just want to thank you for doing that. And I thank you for the intention because I'm not kidding. These kids, when they pray for you all, they're praying specifically for you all. And I want that opportunity for you. So what we're going to do, because I dumped out, unfortunately, some of those sticks. Richard, I'm sorry. You're missing from a jar. Mrs. Hannum is missing from a jar. I think there's a couple other people missing from jars. Anyway, you'll figure it out. There's extra jars. There's there's extra sticks in there. You can write the names that are missing. But they're going to go ahead and hand them to each of you. We found found the, I found extra pads of paper because when you're writing people's prayer requests, that's a good place to put it. And then um, we also give you a, a, a baggie to put those uh, sticks in uh, so that you don't lose them like I did. But anyway, uh, this, is, this was their uh, surprise. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to um, share it with you guys. And they're going to... One per family. One per family. One per person if you're a person or one per family if you're a six. Yes. Anyway, but thank you. Thank you for... Um, yeah, you can just hand them the baggies. They're quite capable of doing it. I think. Aren't you all capable of putting these in baggies? Yes. Yes. But anyway, this was our summer surprise for you all. So uh, I'd like to just thank them for all their hard work. because They did a lot of hard work. Oh, one last thought. Natalie made it very obvious that uh, work on her jar is not going to pass dishwasher safe. So just so you know. Just so you know. 
So treat it with kindness. Treat it with kindness. Thank you. <laughs>